Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Seamus. So good to see you guys this morning. I'm excited to talk to you about the kingdom of God. Is that good? And uh, so good to see you on a 4th of July weekend. Yeah, you guys are all here, man. You guys, that's good. So give the person next to you a high five and say, man, so glad you're here. Just don't knock anybody out. Just be careful when you do it. That's all I'm, that's all I'm saying. So, well, so good. So good to be uh, here. And this is our, actually our, take your Bibles and turn to Galatians. That's where we're going to land. Let's just do that. And I usually, I usually have like things I want to talk to you guys about before I even talk. And I really, my mind is like, it's not like engaging in that reality, except to say that uh, I would just would love to have you guys fully support our worship team with their first Convergence Worship CD. And uh, I just want you guys to be super excited about that because that's been a vision even when we started, when we built the building, uh, I felt like we were supposed to build a recording studio, which we have a recording studio here. And I felt like um, I was just being obedient to the Lord. And, um, and so this is our first album release. And so I just want to say praise be to God. And the last song of the album speaks about God's faithfulness. I think it's called God is Fa- Great is Your Faithfulness. And the song is five minutes and 55 seconds long. So if you've been here long, 555 is an important number for those in this house. And that number, God is, I don't know why he does stuff like this, but that number has been, God has highlighted that number to a lot of people. And then afterwards, they've received financial breakthrough. And, um, and so there's a grace on it. And so for the, for the last song, I mean, um, Anthony texted the staff just a few days ago and said, I didn't even know this, but the last song is about the faithfulness of God. I don't know what the right title is. Is it Great, great Is Your Faithfulness? Like, great is your faith, that one. But not that song. Anyway, different, <laughs> different one. Great is your, that's a great song. I like that song, man. That's. Anyway, um, great is your faithfulness, and he didn't know that, that as they finished the mastering of the song, that it was five minutes and 55 seconds, five, 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 and it was the last song on the album. And I just feel like the Lord is going to honor that and the faithfulness of God uh, in our lives and it just being in, in prosperity, not just financially, right? We all want financial breakthrough, and um, but but just in prosperity in every other way, health and relationships and all of that. I'm, I'm game for all of that, aren't you? I'm game for all of that. So uh, I don't want to, I, I just say, even if you, if you download the CD, purchase it and download, you're helping them, but you might, get a, you might get a blessing in return. Do you know what I'm saying? Like a bigger blessing in return uh, for doing it. So I'm excited with these guys. Um, for these guys, with these guys, and don't miss July 15th. That's a, that's a monumental, I feel like kind of a historic night um, because it's not only, because worship is our number one priority here. 
And the presence of God is our top priority. And we don't dumb down our services. We don't make them seeker-friendly. We make them spirit-friendly. And we just love the atmosphere. And Jesus had the anointing without measure. And wherever he went, signs and wonders and miracles and lives were changed because he carried the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so when we gather corporately like this and we could and we just minister to the Lord, his presence comes and rests in this place. And we have seen people healed in worship. We've, we've seen things take place in worship that are unexplainable, really. No one's laying hands on people. It's because God is welcome here and he shows up. And uh, to me, I, I love that. So my, one of our phrases around here is that we just want to push our sails to the wind. And whatever the Lord is doing, we want to push our sails in that and just follow what he's doing. And so I never know fully what's going to happen on a Sunday morning. I have a plan, and, uh, but he is the, he is the, uh, he's the leader of that, of that plan, right? And, and so he could take over whenever he wants. Is that all right with you? Yeah. It kind of makes, makes following Jesus really fun because you never know what's going to happen. It's the expectation. There are not a lot of amens right now, but I, I just want you to know it's true. Can you imagine walking with Jesus? You never knew what was going to happen. Jesus didn't say, you know, here's the order of service. Right? Yeah. So anyway, just want you guys to be alive and well, your sons and daughters of the living God. We've been on a journey now, I think it's eight weeks. Didn't know it was going to go eight weeks, maybe seven weeks. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And really, you know, we're, we're talking about ecclesia, the, you know, our, our, what I call our functional identity, which is really what we're called to do and be. So we are the ecclesia of God. Uh, it's not a religion, it's a government. We're representing him well. It's the kingdom of God. It's the government of God. And Jesus said in Matthew 4, 17, he says, repent, change the way you think, because I'm bringing my world with me. And if you, if you don't repent and change the way you think, you're going to miss my world. And so religion tends to miss God's world. And uh, we saw that in the Pharisees. We saw that with the Sadducees. We are sad, you see, get it? Yeah. So um, with the Pharisees, with the religious community, we saw that with the political uh, community, with Herod and all that, they missed the kingdom. And the kingdom is a far superior kingdom, far greater reality. Right, then are even our, the natural realm that we are actually living in. And so, um, so if we don't understand uh, how, if we don't understand the kingdom, then we're not gonna know how to operate in this world. And what I've discovered is that, and I'll, I'll be the first one, like we'll champion truth, you know, we'll say, you know, that, that resonates, that's scripture, but how do we apply it? You know, we, we champion truth, but we don't, know how to, we don't know how to live it out. And so we are raised in a great country. We're living here in a great country, uh, the United States of America. I'm grateful for the country that we live in. Yeah. If you travel, uh, you are so thankful to come back. <laughs> That's a little bias. I'm just saying, you know, God has blessed our nation. And uh, with all of its bumps and all its bruises and all the things that we did and should have done, would have done, but the Lord has continued to bless our country, and uh, I'm grateful for that. And, um, and, but we do live in, I do live in a republic. I understand 
the, my paradigm is a republic, my paradigm is the United States of America, and I can't view scripture from my paradigm. So as soon as I as soon as I bring my governmental paradigm into scripture, then the Holy Spirit's going to have to work really really hard to give me true revelation over the scripture. So we have to really set we have to set the New Testament, even the Old Testament in the context of what Jesus was the the system that Jesus was was living in and the government that Jesus tried to establish, and that's the kingdom of God. And so if I don't understand, if I, if I don't look at Scripture and look at the life of Jesus and even read Scripture and find truth based on something other than his kingdom, then I, could have a, I can have a tweaked sense of what Jesus might be saying or what the New Testament is saying. What I'm, say, what I'm trying to say is that our filter is really important when it comes to reading Scripture. Right, and so, so we've been on this we've been on this journey the last six or seven weeks about shifting our mindset, and in order in order for us to gain a clearer understanding of the Word of God, our mindsets have to come in line with with His kingdom reality, and we have to understand that. So we actually talked about the first week we talked a lot about Jesus bringing His kingdom. The second week we talked about I think we talked about the principles of the kingdom. Remember, I had eighteen principles. I think there was a total of 25, but I only gave 18, and just talked about what kings are and understanding kingdoms and you know, even the structure back then. And then once you understand a little bit about that, then you begin to see scripture a little differently in how Jesus was talking. And so kings aren't elected, they're you know, appointed and all kinds of things. So, so we worked through that, and then um, we talked about uh, kingdom and, re- and our authority. And this is really important because whatever God's given you responsibility over, he's given you authority. So we only have authority where we have, his, we have responsibility. So I have spiritual authority as a, as a husband and as a father because I have, he's given me responsibility. In other words, I don't have to back down or shy away from using my authority in areas where he's given me responsibility. And I just want to encourage you guys, where he's given you areas of responsibility, he's also equipped you with authority. He's given you authority to function in those areas of responsibility. So you can, actually, you can actually bring the kingdom in those areas. Are you guys alive and well today? All right, so, so we, we really hit that, and I just want to kind of go through a quick list. We talked about um, leaven in the kingdom. Remember, leaven has to be, leaven is not the kind of leaven where you throw it in a bread machine and then 20 minutes it pops out hot and thick. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, somebody blessed me with banana bread today. This morning I was, this morning I was thinking, I'm just not going to eat any, I'm just going to really pull back. You know, I'm going to, I got 21 days before I go to the Philippines and I just want to get, you know, a little trimmer, you know, I got some work to do, but a little trimmer, and the Lord blessed me with fresh banana bread. You know, banana bread is one of my favorites. Anyone else? Banana bread might be on the top of the list. Well, near the top of the list. It's one of those, you know, you cut into it, it's more, you put butter on, it's just, 
Then you just ask for forgiveness the whole time. You're just... It's so true. You ever go to, you know, anyway, I, I'm derailing there really fast. We talked, about, uh, we talked about the kingdom and stress and worry out of Matthew chapter 6. And really the priority is the kingdom of God. And when the priority of the kingdom of God is in our hearts, then stress and worry exit. Anxiety, all those things, right? Uh, and so Jesus, Matthew chapter 6 is mind-blowing because if you really read Matthew chapter 6, like I've read Matthew chapter 6 a lot, but in the, in the previous month I've read chapter 6 and said, you've got to be kidding me. I talk to the Lord as I read scripture. I don't know about you guys. I don't take a, I, so I'm reading the scripture. And I'm, so when we talk about sons and daughters, I'm, today out of Galatians, I'm reading the scripture and I'm like, Lord, this is really too good to be true. Like, I'm breaking in on revelation about what it means to be son and a daughter. And as I'm getting the revelation about being a son and a daughter, you know, at first it's like, yeah, theologically, I know I'm a son and a daughter. Like, I'm theologically right. Some, at some point, there has, to be, there has to be some kind of transference, some kind of... I don't, I'm thinking of transference, but that's not the, the right word. At some point, it has to go from our head to our heart. At some point, it has to be more than just theology. At some point, it has to land somewhere where we're transformed. And so as I'm reading this, this portion of Scripture, I'm like, I'm blown away by it. And I've been doing this thing for a long time. And I'm still blown away by it. And I'm glad I'm blown away by it. I don't ever want to be not blown away by <laughs> something as important as the goodness and kindness of the Lord. And I don't, ever want to, I don't ever want to just have good theology that's dry. I want truth that's alive and active, that's hitting my heart. And so we talked about stress and worry, and then last week we talked about ambassadors and what it means to be an ambassador and how it is, you know, what, what God's equipped us with. And I've had a, several people who are saying, man, that message on ambassador, I said, me too. I, I mean, I need to be reminded again. And so being an ambassador really fits into Matthew 6. Don't worry about what you eat, what you, that's why I'm worrying about what I'm going to eat, but if you know what I'm talking about there. Uh, anyway, sidetrack. Um, because ambassadors never worry about it. Ambassadors never worry about provision. Ambassadors never worry about what, what car they're going to drive, where their next meal is going to come from. Ambassadors don't worry about that because that's all supplied by the government. So when I understand ambassador, then I understand Matthew 6 a little better. That makes sense? All right. Like I said, Galatians chapter, did I tell you a chapter? Oh, did I say chapter five? Wow, was I wrong. Well, you can, there's actually three places I want to land today. Galatians is the first place. 
Well, Galatians is one of the places. I'll just say that. So it's actually Galatians chapter 3. So put your finger in Galatians chapter 3. And then uh, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. So you're just going to hang a right. So you find Galatians, hang a right, you're in Ephesians. All right? And so, yep, that just makes you, that just keeps you from going to the index. All right? And, um, and then I want to end, if we have time, I want to end in Romans. But I really, want to, I really want to talk to you a lot out of Galatians chapter 3 and 4. You, got, you guys ready? Okay. <clears throat> I said Ephesians, right? Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 5. It says, praise be to the God and Father, you can circle that if you mark in your Bible, of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You can circle the word every. For, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. This word adopted is an interesting word. Let me just read to you. The word translated here, adoption or adopted, comes from the Greek word. I'm not even going to tell you what the Greek word is, but I like looking at the original language. It was the standard term for adoption in the first century, and it appears to be a compound word meaning to appoint as a son. So the word adoption in the simple form means to appoint as a son. It also, in legal terms, means a proce the process of adoption or the process of passing into a new household. In real life, it means a state of full sonship, in no way different than that conferred by birth. The bond between parent and child is equally strong in both cases. But there are two different types of adoption, and that's really what I want to explore today. There's, uh, there's, there was the Roman uh, adoption, and then there was the, there was the Jewish adoption. In, Jewish, in the Jewish, uh, I'm not an expert in Jewish culture, but I do, I, hopefully I get this right. I always preempt, when I talk about that guy, so many people who are so much smarter that are sitting out there, but I'll try my best. There's a rite of passage uh, with the Jewish culture, and that is probably the age of 13, is when, when, um, when sons and daughters actually become adults. I think that's called a bar mitzvah. Yes, am I right? Okay. I know it's basic, but I, I'm doing, just keep praying for me in the spirit. And so that's a, that's, so at the age of 13, there's a rite of passage, and there's a ceremony that's taking place, and then the rec they recognize the fact that you're actually responsible for the law, responsible for these things at the age of 13. It's a rite of passage. In, the, in Roman culture, 
um, in a Roman society, the father decides when a child will become an adult. So in the Jewish culture, when they hit 13, that's the rite of passage, 12 or 13. But in the Roman culture, adoption actually takes place when the father feels like that child's ready to be adopted. So you could be 16, 17, 18, 19, and though you are the natural child, you're still not adopted. So when you become adopted, they had a ceremony, which I can't, I, don't, I didn't write the ceremony down. You have the ceremony, you're actually, when the father says to the child, it was on every year, March 17th, which is I think when we started the Seahawk. It's kind of weird. So it really is weird, and I was thinking about that. It's every year, March 17th. That was the time when the father would look at his uh, Roman son and say, is this the year uh, Charlie, that's a bad Roman name, (laughs) terrible Roman name, that's the only one that came to my mind, Julius maybe, or something like that, I don't know. Uh, Anyway, becomes adopted. So every year on March 17th, Romans held a festival called the Liberia. Anyway, forget it. At this feast, if the father thought his son was ready, he would be formally adopted by the father as his acknowledged son and heir. He would receive new clothes called toga something there. (laughs) And after this ceremony, the son was considered to have come to age. He had new rights and new responsibilities. So if you can imagine with me, if you're a son or you can imagine a daughter, you can imagine the kids wondering on March 17th, as March 17th approached, if that would be the year that they would be adopted or they would be brought into adulthood. So the Roman culture also adopted uh, people when they're adults. So it wasn't when they were little. It wasn't when this rite of passage took place, but also when when they were older. In fact, boy, how do I say this? Um, In fact, if... This is not bad. It's just trying to figure out how I say it. In fact, if a husband and wife could not have children, or if, because it was very expensive in Roman culture, you had no more than really three children because it was so expensive to have children and then to have them, then to have them like raised by guardians and so forth. But we're talking now more on the royal line so in the royal line, then you had, you had people who would, who would basically raise your kids. And so, so if there was no son or if the son was so immature, I'll just use that word, then a parent could actually adopt 
a young man, let's say 20, 21 years old, and have him become the heir to the throne. So you, you have this dynamic happening where you have the son. So in other words, there were no guarantees. That's why it's so amazing that the father has chosen us and he's adopted us to be brought into his kingdom and that we're actually heirs with Jesus because that's how much father believes in you. So we see in history, which I don't have, but I, I don't have time to share with you, but if you wanted to go to Wikipedia, you can study it for yourself. Nero, the crazy man that started reigning about 37 AD and then he killed himself at about 68 AD, was adopted and became emperor. So in order to preserve a family line, whatever, this is what happened. And you know, royalty is fabulous, but it's also scary. If you have, anyway, so Nero kill, killed his mother because of all this other stuff that was taking place in these royal lines that gets crazy, but not in the kingdom. Say amen to that. Amen. There's only one who died, and that's Jesus. All right. So let's, so is everyone good so far? Because this gets really, really good when we start reading in the letter to the church at Galatia, the Galatians. Let me say this about, so you can now turn to Galatians chapter three. So let's put Galatians at about 49 AD. Some people say it's for 56 AD, so it doesn't matter. So Paul visits and he actually forms an ecclesia and there's a number of ecclesias in the region of Galatia which is modern-day Turkey, right around modern-day Turkey, right in that area. And so he goes ahead and he ministers, and he's talking primarily to, a, to Hellenized or a Gentile population. So when you read the book of Galatians, he's writing it to a Gentile group of people. There are gonna be sprinklings of Hellenized Jews who were Jews but raised in the Roman culture. So this is, the, this is the backdrop of the book of Galatians. And that's important because Galatians is all about the grace of God and not based, not having our salvation, uh, not working out our salvation based on performance. So Galatians is all about God's wonderful grace but, it's, but it's, really, it's really an argument for and a directive to you don't earn your salvation by works. It's based on grace. If Galatians is all about breaking the performance mentality. That in some way, I have to earn my way to heaven. Or more importantly, I have to earn God's love. And there's something inside of us that we want to earn God's love. 
even though we're saved by grace. There's, a, there's the application of working out our, our faith with fear and trembling, but it's, not ba- it's based on Christ's work in us that propels us to do that. So it's the foundation of that is love. Not gaining approval, not working things out to get God's approval. So what happens if that becomes our, our dominant reality, then we strive. And we don't enjoy God. We can't sit in his presence and just rest. Because we're so focused on doing in order to approach him. Right? And so Paul is all about snapping that in the book of Galatians because it was being infiltrated after Paul left. That region was being infiltrated by Judaizers, is what they called them, and they snuck in the back door after Paul left and said, well, I'm glad that you found Jesus, but you have to bring in some of the law in order to live the Christian life. And that's why he says, and that's what you'll see in like Galatians 5, for, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Like this whole, this whole uh, word of encouragement, but it's a corrective word that says, who's bewitched you because you started by grace in other words, you didn't earn your salvation. There's no one in this room that actually was good enough for the Lord to say, oh, man, you top my own son. You're amazing. Like, there's nobody here that has, like, climbed the ladder to get God's approval based on works. God's approval comes to you through seeing what Jesus has done, and he sees the atoning work of the blood of Jesus who fulfilled the law in every way. So now he sees Greg through the blood of Jesus, and it's too good to be true, through the blood of Jesus, and then he calls me, he actually calls me a son and daughter based on the finished work of Jesus, and What he's warning us here, this whole first two chapters, is that that our salvation is not based on any of the law that we do. In other words, we don't have to mix law with grace. It's grace by faith plus nothing. So don't If you're saved by grace, then don't run back and start trying to perform. So Paul's saying you're in trouble if you run back and try and perform to get God's approval when your own salvation wasn't even based on your performance. It was based on your acceptance. It was based on believing. That's too good to be true. You mean all I have to do is believe and then receive? Yes, that's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. What about the list? 
You know what? When I got saved at the age of 16, I was so glad people didn't give me a list. I don't know if I'd be in the pulpit today. So when I got saved at the age of 16, it was Christ in me, working through me. It wasn't based on, okay, now that you're saved, here, here's a book, 20 steps to keep your conversion. So the things I used to love, I began to hate. And the things that I used to hate, I began to love. No one told me I was supposed to do that. I hated going to church. Hey, I just, it's boring, and, and all of a sudden, I went, Sunday came along, it's like, I want to go to church. I want to be around. I mean, you know, you guys heard my testimony. I was behind the loudest tongue-talking Pentecostal believer my first Sunday. I left. I go, well, this is not only, I want to be here, but this is, this is crazy <laughs> right now. Crazy. So, man, I made like, you know, the cartoon, Exit Stays Right. You know, it's not, what's his name anyway? So, Exit Stays Right. I was gone. Came back, though. Came back. No one told me. Let me just share this one. No one told me, dude, now that you're saved, you got to quit cussing. Man, my vocabulary changed. I mean, if you heard me before, you guys know. You guys have been saved and redeemed, and like it was almost every other word, right? I mean, but the Lord, no one said, here's the book. The Lord just got a hold of my mouth, my tongue. My whole, per- anyway, I was kind of a shy person. When I got saved, I had a, transfer- I had a transformation in my personality. I mean, I was the most popular in high school, senior year, and best personality, senior year. Both of those. Amen. School classes only had 35 people in it, but still. (laughs) It's true. Fremont Christian, 35 people. You would have told me I was going to go to a Christian school? No way. God is Jehovah Sneaky. (laughs) All right, so we have the foundation, right? So let's lay this out. One thing I did not tell you is that the scripture says, well, this is Roman adoption again. Before a son is adopted, He's no different than a slave. In other words, he's ruled and governed by somebody over him. And when he becomes, and he's dressed with a robe. Now, I don't know if it's different than the robe of a slave. Don't know. But, but when you're adopted, you actually receive a new robe that identifies you as being adopted. And you'll see in Galatians, it talks about being clothed with Christ. 
There's a, there's a robe on you that you don't see that indicates that you've been adopted. So let's take a look at this. You guys ready? Because we're just going to go verse by verse. And I'm going to try and get done. I said, boo, I said, I try not to say that. I'm not going to say it this Sunday. All right. So I stopped myself. I almost said it. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Now, you guys understand the context, right? So what set it in its context? He's talking about your salvation is not based on performance. But he lays out Galatians chapter 5 and says, these are the works of the flesh, and these are the fruits of the Spirit. But if you, if you live in communion with Christ, the fruits of the Spirit will be born. That makes sense? And the works of the flesh will just diminish. All right. I don't want to get into all that. but So you are, you are all, I mean, in IV 1984, you are all sons of God through faith in, Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. For all of you, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He covers pretty much everything there, gender, everything. If you belong to Christ then, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So you'd have to look at his argument because it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 15, he starts talking about the difference between the law and the promise. We're heirs of the promise, just like Abraham was heirs of the, heir of the promise. Verse 4, I mean chapter 4. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, I want you to think about Roman adoption when you're, we're reading this, because that's where the revelation's going to come. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Is a child an heir? Yes. He's in the bloodline. But before he's adopted, he's no different than a slave. Because the rite of passage hasn't been given to him, and his father has not chosen him yet. Although he owns the whole estate. So let me just read that without breaking that sentence. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Some of you don't know who you really are. Some of you, you own the estate, but you don't know how to access it. And if we live as slaves, we'll have an inheritance we never access. He, 
the child is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, oh, I love that, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, because that's what the argument here is in Galatians, born under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Come on. No, no, you don't understand. It's the full rights of sons, not partial rights, not 75% rights. It's the full rights of son, sons because Jesus satisfied the law because he was under the law and he was a son, the eternal son. So he's talking, I know I say this a lot, but he's talking legal because he's, I want you to understand he's not talking religious. That's super important because justification is God hitting the gavel and saying just as if Greg never sinned. It's legal and it's done. The crime has been paid for by Jesus. Even though I'm the one who committed the crime, Jesus stepped up and he took my place and he was the punishment for the crime. And once a crime is paid for, then the person who committed the crime is off the hook because the crime's been paid for. That's why you are free. And then he says to you, you're the hero. Now, that's too good to be true. Like, that's unbelievable. You mean, stop me for a moment. What are the implications of that? What are the implications of that reality? And how am I supposed to live based on that reality? What do I have access to based on that reality? What am I talking about? I'm talking about a legal reality, not a religious activity. Like this is real. This is not just a nice idea. But when the time had fully come, God, our Father, sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem. That means to buy back. That means to purchase. So redeem is a heavy word. It's a beautiful word, and it's a legal word. It's a transactionary word. So under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because 
You are sons. God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. Well, that's an amazing transaction that's worth exploring. You're telling me that the spirit of Jesus is in me? I'm telling you, it's true. Christ lives in you. The eternal son has now, uh, is abiding with you. Oh, it gets really good. See, because sometimes we have to take the word and not just have it hit the emotional button, which is amazing, but we have to understand the legal side of it that doesn't change. You could have a bad day, it doesn't change the legal side of it. You're a daughter of the living God. You're a son of the living God. Well, I don't feel like it, so what? I didn't have a good day, so what? Let's empathize on not, you not having a good day. It doesn't change your standing. It doesn't change your position before Father. That doesn't change. Unless you just get totally crazy and start living in the kingdom of dark and you start giving access to the enemy to your life because that's all sin does. It gives the enemy permission. That's legal too. So the more you sin, the more access you've given and you've given the enemy authority to come and wreak havoc in your life because you stepped outside the bounds of his word and his love, but he's still, even in this place, he's still reaching for you. Ah, that's too good to be true. What does that mean? God's love is constant. It doesn't change. It keeps coming. That's why the gospel is good news. Verse 6, because you are sons, God sent the spirit, because this is, anyway, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father? You might not understand the weight of that, but you've had, since Moses, 1,500 years of law. 1,500 years. This is how you have access to God. He's holy. He's He's unapproachable. He's completely other than. And Paul has the audacity to write in here that you can actually call him dad? We just went from this all the way over to this. What's this and this? We went from God is completely unapproachable. Here are the laws. The laws are exposing your sin. You're you're wretched and all this kind of stuff because the law is pointing you somewhere, but Jesus hadn't shown up yet. So here comes Jesus, and he comes under the law. He fulfills the law. 
the propitiation or the anger of God, the wrath of God falls on his own son because of the sin that he carried the whole sin of the world so that he can have sons. Where's the wrath of God? On the cross. Not pointed toward you. No longer. That's kind of too good to be true. But it is. Wow. So now, Jesus resides in us in Paul's writing that you can actually call father, dad, intimate. And some of you, you're so broken because of your father's distance. You have a hard time thinking that God can even draw near because you don't even have the experience. Do you know what I'm talking about? We're broken. That's why maybe Galatians needs to be something that you read two or three times a week to get it in you. So, verse 7, last verse, so you are no longer a slave. That's why I said this after worship. We're not a slave to, we're no longer a slave to fear, which is accurately, totally accurate. But we're no longer a slave. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God made you also an heir. Remember the prodigal son? He wanted to come back as a slave. And what did his father say? No. Ain't going to happen. Get me a robe. Let's get some new shoes on this dude. Let's put a ring on his finger because he's my son. You mean even when you totally jack up your life and you just, you just come in and you're just like, you just get before the Lord and you're just like, God, all these things I did wrong. He says, you know what? You're back. I'm going to throw a robe on you. I'm going to put a ring back on that finger because you're, you're, you're back. You're my son. You've always been my son. Kind of too good to be true. But it is. Romans chapter 8. I, there's so much stuff I've missed. Doesn't matter. One of these days I'll... There's security in that, right? Yeah. Did I say Romans 8? So you want to hang a left. I know that most of you, everyone in this room knows. Hang a left. Or on your digital phone, I don't know, push a few more buttons. That's how it is. That's how it is these days. Verse 12. In conclusion. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you are living according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the 
sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you, which is what the song was referencing, but you received the spirit of sonship, capital S, spirit of sonship, and by him we cry. There's that word again. Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies that our, with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The implications of recognizing our sonship is, I, I can't even tell you how massive that is. Some of us are so fearful of approaching the holy God, we're, we're ashamed of what we've done, or we feel like we haven't earned the right to go further or deeper. And I'm telling you that there is access for that reality as a son and as a daughter. It's not based on your merit anyway because that's already been taken care of on the cross. When Romans, Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 talking about the wrath of God, the wrath of God was taken care of. That's why Jesus says, that's why John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world he sent his son. He knew the, he knew the wrath that has to be, that's going to have to be taken care of in order for us to have access, access. But friend, we have access now based on the finished work of Jesus. And now we are, for those of us who have Jesus in their heart, now we are sons and daughters of the living God. And there are major ramifications for that on how you live. And if if how you are living is based on something other than this, then we need to shift our mindset. You will need, and I will need, to take a deeper study into what it really means to be a son and a daughter because positionally, you're there. So I break off all the performance stuff off of you. In the name of Jesus, feeling like you're not good enough because you're never going to be good enough. You know what I'm saying? That was all taken care of on the cross. Now he sees you through the eyes of his son, so you are good enough in that context because you're fully approved and you're fully embraced with all your bumps and all your bruises and all your <laughs> tweaky personality stuff and all your insecurities and all of our stuff, right? Come on. There's no one in here who's perfect. I know that might be news to some of you, but we're just not perfect. We're all just, we're all just moving this thing called the love of God. And that's why there's no Jew, Gentile, male, female. We have a robe on us, and it's Christ, and we're all just connected to Father God, and we can actually say, Abba, Father to him as a son and a daughter, and I'm telling you, that is good news to a culture. 
It's good news for us and it's good news for our families. This is why in Galatians chapter one, Peter, Paul gets in Peter's face and says, dude, when you were in Antioch, you were eating with the Gentiles and you saw some brother coming, some brothers coming from Jerusalem and you shifted away from the Gentiles because you didn't want to be seen acting like a Gentile. And he rebuked Peter. I'm talking about Peter. I mean, Peter. Do you know what I'm saying? He's the Matthew 16 guy, got the revelation who Christ is and who Ecclesia was. Like, he's the guy that preached the first sermon. Like, this is Peter. This is why it's so important. So let me just read this to you. This is actually from a book that Jack Frost wrote on sonship. I just had it in my notes, so I thought I'd give it to you. And this is the difference between an orphan heart and a heart of a son. And I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to do my very best to read this to you. Hopefully you guys will follow. So I'll I'll just list the topic. And then Anthony, I just saw Anthony, you can play. You're so good. These guys, look at that. Look at all that stuff he has around them. It's totally amazing. The image of God. The orphan sees God as a master. The son sees God as a loving father. When it comes to dependency, the orphan heart is independent and self-reliant. The heart of a son is interdependent and acknowledges their need. When it comes to theology, the orphan heart is to live by the Lord, uh, live by the love of the law in the kingdom or in the heart of a son is to live by the law of love. When it comes to security, the orphan heart, insecure and lacks peace. When it comes to security, the heart of a son is to rest and have peace. Need for approval, the orphan heart strives for the praise, approval, and acceptance of man. The heart of a son is totally accepted in God's love and justified by grace. Motive for service, the orphan heart, a need for personal achievement as you seek to impress God and others or no motivation to serve at all. The heart of a son, when it comes to motive of service, is to serve that is motivated by a deep gratitude for being unconditionally loved and accepted by God. The motive behind Christian disciplines, the orphan heart, duty and earning God's favor or no motivation at all. At the heart of a son is pleasure and delight. You guys doing all right? This kind of puts us on a scale. When I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, I'm really weak right there. I, gotta, I need some help right there. And there's some things I'm like really strong in. Some things I just like, no, I, I, tilt this, I tilt toward the orphan heart. Motive impurity, the orphan heart must be holy and have God's favor, thus increasing a sense of shame and guilt. The motive of a heart of a son is want to be holy. Do not want anything to hinder intimate relationship with the Lord. Regarding self-image, the orphan heart, self-rejection from comparing yourselves to others. The heart of a son, positive and affirmed because you know you have such value to the Lord. The source of comfort, the orphan heart, seeks to comfort in counterfeit affections, addictions, compulsions, escapism, busyness, hyper-religious activity, 
the heart of a son when it comes to comfort. Seek times of quietness and solitude to rest in the Father's presence and his love. Peer relations. I only got a few more, all right? It's not 25 minutes, all right? Just a few minutes. Peer relationships. The heart of an orphan, competition, rivalry, jealousy toward others, success and position. The heart of a son when it comes to peer relationships. Humility and unity as you value others and are able to rejoice in the blessing, their blessings and their successes. The handling of others' faults. The orphan heart, accusation, exposure in order to make yourself look good by making others look bad. The heart of a son, love covers as you seek to restore others in the spirit of love and gentleness. View of authority, the orphan heart. You see authority as a source of pain, distrust toward them and a lack of heart attitude of submission. When it comes to authority, the, the heart of a son, respectful, honoring, you see them as ministers of God for good in your life. The view of admonition or correction. The orphan heart, difficulty receiving admonition. You must be right so that you can easily get your feelings hurt and close your spirit to discipline. The heart of a son, seeing and receiving admonition as a blessing and a need in your life so that you, your faults and your weaknesses are exposed and put to death. The expression of love for the orphan heart, guarded and conditional, based on others' performance as you seek to get your own needs met. The heart of a son, open, patient, affectionate as you lay your life and agendas down in order to meet the needs of others. A sense of God's presence to the orphan heart, conditional and distant. To the heart of a son, close and intimate. Condition on the orphan heart, the condition is bondage. To the heart of a son, the condition is liberty. Position to the orphan heart, you feel like a servant or a slave. To the heart of a son, you feel like a son and a daughter. The word there is feel, right? It's the, the vision of, of an orphan heart, spiritual ambition, the earnest desire for some spiritual achievement and distinction, and the willingness to strive for it, a desire to be seen and counted among the mature. The vision of a heart of a son to daily experience the father's unconditional love and acceptance, and then be sent as a representative of his love to family and others. The future of the orphan heart, last one, future of the orphan heart, fight for what you can get. The heart of a son, sonship releases your inheritance. Wow. That is, that is, Tell you what, there's. I find myself on the left side of the ledger on some of these. You know, my dad died when I was 17. He died of a heart attack, sudden heart attack in the kitchen of our house. And so my natural father was distant. He was a provider, but he was distant. So there's things that I've 
I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh, this is like 30-something years later, 40-something years later, and I'm still, Lord is still having to work that out, like trusting Father, right? So the more revelation I gain from him, and he knows, he knows my past, right? And he's there to embrace us. So I want us to stand. And I don't know where you find yourself on that. Oh, okay. Um, is he here? Okay. I don't know where you uh, find yourself on that, on that list, but I think for the sake of time, would you just take your hands and slip them in front of you and just receive what it says in Galatians, the rights fully as sons. As you stand before the presence of the Lord, sons and daughters, you stand before the presence of the Lord. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been adopted, you've been chosen, and you've been adopted by your Heavenly Father. And your Heavenly Father fully approves of you. That you stand redeemed you stand fully accepted based on the finished work of Jesus in your life. And that's a lot to get excited about. And I just want to break any striving off of anybody, any, any of this, because I have a struggle with performance stuff too, like because I'm just wired that way. And so I just want to break that performance thing off of you where you feel like you have to perform in order to get God's approval, to receive God's love, to receive, I don't know, this connection with the Lord that I just want to free you up to where you can actually enjoy time with God without feeling like I haven't done enough for the Lord to even come into his presence. I just haven't quite measured up yet. And we struggle with this whole idea of performing and the whole book of Galatians is to actually break that down, tear that apart, just take that lie and shatter it because it's not based on what you have done. It's based on the finished work. So I just want you to come into this place of rest. Would you just rest? I just feel like there are some people here. You just need to rest and just receive. And I don't care, it doesn't matter whether you're 16, whether you're 36, or whether you're 66 or 86, it doesn't matter. You're fully accepted by the, in the love of God. And as you stand here this afternoon as a son and as a daughter of the Lord Jesus, regardless of how you feel, how I feel does not change anything in the kingdom. And so Lord, we embrace that truth we embrace that reality. And we know, Lord, once we embrace truth, the, the feelings will come. The feelings are like the caboose of a train. Once we accept truth and we declare truth, the emotion comes right behind it. And so, Lord, this afternoon we accept it, we acknowledge it, we recognize that you are the Lord who went to the cross, paid for my sin, and now I stand as a son and as a daughter of the living God, fully adopted by our Heavenly Father who looked at us and said, you know what? He's ready, she's ready. I believe in you. And some of you just need to hear the Lord say to you, 
that he believes in you. That he believes in you. That he believes in you. That our hero, the Lord Jesus Christ, wants to raise up heroes. That our champion, the Lord Jesus Christ, is raising up champions. That's you. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.